all right. We can think about it just a little bit longer. The mercy of God. It never runs out. It never ends. It never stops. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. God's mercy is here for somebody tonight. Amen. Thank you, praise team. I appreciate that very much. You're leading us in worship. Um, we're going to do, do one more thing really quickly. We're going we're to pray one more time. Um, we're going to pray for uh, Leslie's grandfather, Mr. Spadoni. He was put in the hospital. Um, more of a routine thing, but uh, that's a scary thing right now. Um, because that's, of course, where the person that is sick is, is at the hospital. And so um, we're just going to pray that God would be with him and that God would comfort their family. And I know Leslie's probably worried, uh, but God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. So I wonder if we could just lift our voices. Young ladies, maybe you turn around and just lay your hands on Leslie right there. And we're just going to pray that God would be with them and just stretch forth your hand toward Leslie and we're just going to pray for her family. We know it's probably a scary time, but let's just pray right now. God, we're thankful, Lord, that we you are our comfort and you are our peace. And God, we pray right now for Mr. Spadoni, Lord, that you would just reach out into that hospital room and that you would touch his body, that you would protect him, that you would help him, God, not to catch this awful disease. God, we know that you're able. God, we know that you uh, have all power in heaven and earth, God, and you can comfort right now. I pray that you would comfort Leslie, that you would touch her and her parents, that you would just give them a peace and a reassurance, God, that you're going to work it out, that you are in control, God, that there is nothing to fear when we put our hands hand in your hand and you lead us. I pray that you'd bless them right now in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. All right. Thank you for doing that. And you may be seated tonight. I'm going to talk to you um, for just a few minutes about a Sunday school song that we used to sing. Maybe some of you have sang it before. If I was a singer, I would sing it. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Now that is a deep theological song. It's a deep theological song. Now it's a silly song. I mean, there's, we all know the motions. You do your right hand, you put it in. I don't know what you're putting it in. Maybe you're putting it Right, you're praising the Lord with just your right hand, and then you're praising the Lord with just your left hand, and then you're, you're spinning around, you're crossing your eyes, you're sitting down, you're doing all kinds of things to praise the Lord for Father Abraham. But that's a deep theological song. So we're going to talk a little bit about Father Abraham tonight. How many have been reading your word before world? Anybody started on the book of Romans yet? Anybody? Got one? All right, there's still time, so it's a short book, 16 chapters, but start. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to preface it that the book of Romans is one of the deeper books of the Bible. It has a lot of uh, deep theology in it, and so you might not understand most of it, and that's okay. I, I was a Bible quizzer. Um, when I was 12 years old, we studied the book of, of Romans, so I was a sixth grader, uh, supposed to memorize the whole book. I probably memorized 75% of the, 
of the book of Romans. And of course, I've read it multiple times uh, from the time I was a teenager on because I was able to get some understanding in it. I was familiar with it, and so I like to read in the book of Romans. So it is one of my favorite books of the Bible, but it is, it is deep. It's a deep theological book. And so I want to do some teaching and some preaching in the book of Romans to help you. So I hope you're reading along. I hope you uh, take some time in all the craziness of life. I promise reading God's word brings a peace into your life. It brings a stillness and a calm into your life. So don't neglect that. It's tempting to do. I'm even tempted to do it because there's all kinds of stuff pulling at me. You wake up with just a little bit of time, and there's all this stuff that you've got to do. You've got to start. You've got to get to school on time and, you know, all that stuff. But if you can carve out a little bit of time to... Um, if you can carve out a little bit of time to read your Bible before you start your day, I believe it'll make a big difference in your life. So Romans chapter number 3, beginning at verse number 18, I want you to listen. It says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations? Who do you think it's talking about there? That he might be the become the father of many nations. Those of you Bible scholars. Abraham, yes. Yes, Abraham. That he might... So this is Paul talking about Abraham. Talking about Abraham. Now, you might not know who Abraham is, and that's okay, I'm going to tell you. But talking to, about Abraham here that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. That's a quote from the Old Testament, from the promise. God said, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, he, meaning God, had promised, he was able also to perform. That what God has promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed. Now, this is, this is a big word, word that we don't, not really big, I guess. It's just uh, rare. We don't use that very much. It was imputed to him for righteousness. What do you think the word imputed means? Yeah, basically, I think, I think a good simple definition would give. He gave. It was given to him for righteousness. It was imparted, perhaps you could say. But this, instead of imputed. But it was just, uh, it was replaced. It was uh, given to him for righteousness. Now, verse 23 is where I want you to pay special attention. Okay, special attention. So we're in the New Testament. We're in the, with the Apostle Paul, and we're talking about Abraham, who, of course, lived in the Old Testament. Okay? So it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. Verse 24 starts with those words, 
but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So, deep theology going on there about Abraham. But what I want you to take away at the first is that Abraham, was, it was said of him that it was his faith, it was imputed to him for righteousness because of what he did, because of how he served God. And that it wasn't for his sake alone that that was said to him. But God said it to him so that you would hear it. Now that is powerful to me. God spoke to a man that lived thousands of years ago. And he spoke with you in mind. He spoke to Abraham knowing that you would read those words. That you would hear those words. That it was his faith was imputed to him for righteousness. That God traded something with Abraham and that you would read about it. Now that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. That it was written to us, the readers of the book of Romans. It was written to us what God said to Abraham, that it has importance. So when you're reading the Old Testament, you need to know that it has importance for your life. Now, I don't, I'm trying not, I don't want to bore you with the, de, with the theology because I can get really into it because I love the book of Romans and it's incredibly deep. But what you have to understand, right, I'm going to just kind of do a surface really quickly and then we're going to get somewhere. What you have to understand is that the controversy in the book of Romans is about should Christians follow the Jewish law, the Jewish customs. How many can name off some of the customs that the Jews followed in the Old Testament? Don't eat what? Don't eat pork? Yes. Dietary restrictions? Circumcision? Yes. Yeah, nothing unclean, so that would kind of go with the pork, but there were other animals that were unclean other than just pork. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you had to do all these sacrifices to roll back your sin. You couldn't wear certain fabrics. You couldn't have mixed fabric. You had to wear um, some sort of uh, like 100% cotton or linen or whatever. Probably not cotton, but linen. Uh, there were certain, no, no mixed fabrics. Um, when I was in Israel, they never served, um, they never served butter at dinner time. They never served butter at dinner time because they served beef at dinner. And the belief was you could not eat butter and beef together because the verse in the Old Testament that said never boil a calf in his mother's milk. Never boil a calf in his mother's milk. Apparently that was a pagan ritual of the day. You would boil a calf in his mother's milk and offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord, to the God, whatever God you were worshiping. And the Lord thought that was cruel and unusual and weird and you didn't need to do it. But the Jews today take that to mean don't mix beef with dairy product. So you can't drink a glass of milk and eat a steak. So they don't serve butter at the hotel we were at. They didn't serve butter for dinner. So there's all of these, all of these different restrictions. No, they wouldn't have cheeseburgers. You'd have a cheese turkey burger, maybe. Really? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. No cheeseburgers if you were following kosher. So there's all these rules. And, and in, the, in, the first, in the first century church, in the church that Paul is writing to, 
they still had people that thought that to be a good Christian, you needed to be a good Jew because Jesus was Jewish. He originally uh, preached to Jews. So everybody that was an early Christian was Jewish. They were Jewish first. And so they had all of these customs and rituals. And then, so they just kind of, they kind of just incorporated uh, living for God with their observance of the law. And there was nothing sinful about it because the law was perfect. There's nothing in the law. There's nothing in the Old Testament that is sinful. Or there's nothing that God prescribes in the Old Testament law that is sinful. So it just kind of melded okay with Christianity. However, when new people started coming into the faith that were not Jews, they were pagans, and they started getting the Holy Ghost, like we see in Acts 8, Acts 10. When they started getting the Holy Ghost and being baptized in Jesus' name, then the question was, well, should they follow the dietary law? Should they be circumcised? Should they have this mark, this thing uh, about them that enters them into the covenant? Should they come to synagogue and follow all the rituals? Should they, you know, purge their closet of all things with mixed fabric? What should be done? And so the Apostle Paul is dealing with this in Romans chapter number 3. He's dealing with this controversy. He's dealing with this controversy about what should be done. So that's kind of where, so when you read Romans chapter 3, that's, that's kind of the controversy. He's trying to deal with it in the church, and he's talking about what role does rule following have, good rule following have in the church. What role does it have? And he goes back and forth with the two kind of prevailing uh, opinions. One would be that you have to follow all of these rules in order to be saved. And another would be you don't have to follow any rules because of grace. At one point, he even makes the rhetorical question, should we do away with all righteousness and just uh, allow sin in our life so that God's grace can grow? Because where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. Haven't you ever heard that verse? So should we just live a life of sin and whatever we want to do in order to um, let God's grace grow in our life? That was a question that he asked. Now, he answered it, God forbid. No, he's absolutely not. No way. That's not what we're going to do. But the question still remains, what role does righteousness what role does right living play in our life as Christians? How many in here have ever made a mistake? How many here have ever come short of the glory of God? If you say no, you're calling the Bible a liar because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Apostle Paul says in this very chapter, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what role does rule following have to play in the church? And the answer, in my opinion, what the Apostle Paul brings forth as the answer is found in the song, Father Abraham. It answers. When you were singing that as a six-year-old in one of these Sunday school rooms or some Sunday school room somewhere, you were singing a deep theological truth. You were singing... The answer to this age-old problem of what does righteousness, right living, right behavior have to do with living for God? Because how do you get the balance of you've got... How many believe you've got to live right? 
Turn, I mean, turn or burn. You know, we like to joke about that. Turn or burn. You better change your life. Hellfire preachers preaching about if you don't, you're going to burn in hell. If you don't stop that, you're going to just go. What, let's see, what did my aunt used to say? Or she probably still says it. You're going to go to hell on a Vaseline slide with gasoline drawers. Think about it. She, she was a math teacher. And so she would, actually, I'll just tell you, it was Sister Kilman. She'll be here. You can, you can tell her I told you this. She'll be here next week. But she would say, before a math test, she would say, getting an F is better than going to hell. Don't cheat. All liars will have their place in the lake of fire. They'll go there on a Vaseline slide with, with gasoline drawers. I mean, so she would really try to put the fear of the Lord in you. And that's true. That's true. I mean, if you, if you are a sinner, you will be condemned. You will not make it to heaven. Truth. But who in here is a sinner? All of us. All of us. Now, we say, okay, but Jesus took care of that. Took care of that, absolutely. But how many of you have made a mistake since you've been baptized in Jesus' name and since you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost? I would say since I was baptized at nine years old and I received the Holy Ghost at nine years old, the majority of my mistakes have happened since then. Since I am 30. Yes. Whatever. I am 30 years old. So the majority of my life I have lived with the power of the Holy Ghost, but also the majority of my life I have made mistakes. So now, here is the kicker. Here is what the question is. What role does righteousness and grace have to play in my life? What role does grace have to play in your life? Should you just throw caution to the wind and do whatever's right? I mean, whatever's wrong and just say, okay, well, well grace will take care of that. Or do you go over to this side and you're, you're so anxious that you're going to go to hell, you can't even live. Because you're so worried about what kind of mistakes you're going to make. What is the answer? How much? And then, but then if you meet in the middle, which is, that's a, that's a good, and so if we got these two extremes, if you meet in the middle, that's not a bad idea. But then how much sin is too much? Because then, if you're trying to just manage your sin, you know, it's like, okay, God, if I went all the way, you wouldn't forgive me at all. But if, you, if I do it a little bit, you'll forgive me. Like there's a level to what God can forgive, which is totally not true. And what we do then is we make people that have committed big sin feel like they can't be forgiven, and only people that commit little sin can be forgiven, which is absolutely not true. Because this is what the Apostle Paul begins to debunk in Romans chapter 3 when he says, even those that have kept the law, their feet are swift to shed blood. He says, they, they may keep the law, but there are really deep sins going on in their heart. They still have all the heart problems that somebody that's a pagan that's worshiping a false god has. They just have this kind of better look on it. And so then he starts appealing to this man that everyone in the audience would know, and that was Abraham. The very first person that was called out by God to establish the nation of Israel. 
God spoke to Abraham when he was living with his father and told him that he would need to depart from his father's house, that he would need to leave, that he would need to go to a place where God would tell him to go and that he would establish him and make him a great nation from his children. And, and hopefully you remember the story from Sunday school. The cliff note version is that Abraham lived to be very old and he had not had children yet. He was 100 years old. His wife was 90 years old and they had had no children. But yet he had this promise from God. And what was unique about Abraham, and this is why I've, this is what I've come to preach tonight. What God had for Abraham and what made Abraham special, one of the most important men of the Bible, the important characters of the Bible, is that he allowed that promise that he had from God to shape his actions. Was Abraham perfect? Did he follow the law? No, because the law was not written yet. It was written down by Moses. There was no law at that time. But yet God looked down before there was ever a law, before there was ever this kind of rule book of what you need to follow in order to approach a holy God. And God sought out a relationship with a flawed individual named Abraham. And it was this relationship of faith this is the word that's used, that made all the difference in Abraham's life and that the Bible says was imputed to him or given to him or traded him for righteousness. That what Abraham lacked in righteousness, God made up the difference because Abraham lived a life of faith. Now, that phrase on its own doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us because what does it mean to live a life of faith? But here is what I'm going to put to you tonight, is that living the life of faith is the difference between whether or not you are going to live for God or whether you're not. Because I could preach to you, a, a, and I believe in preaching about hell. I think I need to say the truth the way that it is. But I could preach a fiery sermon about hell. I could tell you all the statistics of why sin is bad. I could scare you straight. But you know what? Fear only gets you so far. And you're not going to serve God your whole life based upon fear. You're not going to serve God based on what He might do to you to punish you. It just does not work that way. And you're not really going to serve the Lord because of some far off distant reward. I've preached that before because we all know what would happen if we do certain things. There's good things that come pretty much, but not everybody does those things like save money or uh, diet and exercise. I'm preaching to myself right now. We all pretty much know the results of that, but it's hard to do. So we rationalize that it's just not really that important. So a far off prize, people have trouble because we, we are here and now kind of people. So God had, there's something about Abraham that God was able to pull out or God was able to recognize and say, I'm using Abraham as your example because he lived a life of faith. Now, what does that mean to live a life of faith? It means that what he knew to be true about God influenced his actions. And it was that day-to-day -day influence of his actions, not his perfection, not his um, no-mistake life, that 
drew God's attention to Abraham. Abraham was somebody that God could trust. Because when God spoke, Abraham listened. When God said, you are going to have a son, and you are going to have a great nation, it influenced what Abraham did. He made decisions in that moment to please God. It was that immediate kind of relationship, that understanding that he had a destiny that God was going to fulfill and that God was going to fulfill it soon. He didn't know every detail. And in fact, I would imagine that he died not really understanding what God was doing. Because when God was speaking to him, that I'm going to impute righteousness to you for you taking this step of faith. Maybe he was still thinking that God was just going to establish a great nation with his offspring, literally. That God was going to establish a, a bordered kingdom, which God did. The Jews became a nation that was off of the lineage of Abraham. But God had something so much more involved. Because we sing that song, Father Abraham, not because we are Jewish. Anybody in here Jewish? Not that I know of. Caleb, you're not Jewish. Not because we are direct lineage of Abraham, but because we are children of faith. Because the nation that God was talking about was not one that was birthed through genetics, but it was one that was birthed in an obedience that when I feel that thing that's indescribable, when God begins to draw me, I will respond. You know why people get the gift of the Holy Ghost? is because they feel God drawing them and they respond right there in that moment. Yeah, Bible studies help to open up their understanding, to let them know that the power of God is available, but they have to believe that it's available, and they have to want it, and the only way they get there is if they hear the voice of God drawing them and pulling them. And when they respond in that moment, and they allow the voice from another world to influence their life today, that's when God takes notice. That's when God sits up and says, there is somebody... That is a child of Abraham. There is somebody that is a child of faith. There is somebody that allows me to influence their everyday life. And then that, Sister Olivia, is how you hit the middle between the two extremes of never caring or over caring. Because you can have a peace and an assurance that I am where God needs me to be. Why? Because I'm perfect? No, not because I'm perfect, but because when I feel that tug in in my heart, I respond. When I feel like it's been a while and I need to pray, I go get in a prayer closet. I don't get on YouTube to distract myself. I don't just say, oh, God's grace will handle it and never crack open my Bible. But I also don't feel such guilt and condemnation when I come into youth service and I, you know, I really haven't had a good week and God's probably rejected me and I, God will never have it. No, you say, God, I know I haven't been right. I know I've kind of got drifted off, but Lord, I want you to speak to me. I want you to pull me back. I want to hear, hear your voice in this moment. I want to hear your voice now. And I want to respond to what you are doing. It's a sense of destiny. It's a sense that God has something for you. And you, may, you won't know all the details. 
Abraham didn't know all the details. He, did, he died not knowing the details. The book of Hebrews tells us that. You won't know all the details of your life. God won't lay you out a map. But it's just going to be that voice that says, will you follow me? Will you follow me? And it is response to that pull. It is response to that voice that makes all the difference in your life. It's not about how good you are. Because now that, this, this explains it. Because there are people that I grew up with that were good young people. They were good young people. They were moral. They had consciences. They were, they were respectful. They were kind. And they don't serve the Lord today. And then there are young people that literally everybody wrote off. Every, I, rem, I remember the day it happened. One of my friends from high school, we weren't that close because he was a wild guy. Just, just, just wild. Just did all kinds of things. And I remember he was, I was at my home. He, didn't, he went to my Christian school, but he didn't go to my church. And then one, one night he was there. He was a little bit older than me. I saw him coming up the aisle at my church in a suit. I thought, that's strange. And he said, I'm going to IBC. And I, I, he, I must have didn't have my poker face on. He said, I know you're shocked. Because I was. Because he was the last person that I would ever thought God would use. And you know, he's not a perfect individual, but he stayed four years at IBC, worked at his home church. He married a young lady that's in the church. They're having a baby, and he's running a campus ministry somewhere and doing, doing great things. And he's like, God took somebody that was bad. And because he had the ability to hear God's voice and change and respond, God could do something with it. But then you take somebody that's good, and you're not good enough to orchestrate your life the way it needs to be. You can have abilities. You can get straight A's. You can never get in trouble. You can be kind of a model citizen, and you're still a sinner. And you still need God's voice to reach out and transform your life. So the critical thing. It's not that God admires wild behavior. But it's that God is looking for good and bad. To answer the call to his voice. Now I'm reminded of the story. When the, the parable. When the great master of the house prepares a feast. And all of the guests that were invited ignore the call. They ignore the invitation. Now, he invited good people. He invited wealthy people. He invited people that were more on par with that kind of social crowd. And they ignored his call. And so he said, go into his servants. Go into the highways and compel them to come. Go into just anybody. Get the homeless. Get the halt. Get the main. Anybody that will answer my voice, I can work with them. Anybody. 
I can work with them. That's what God is doing. He's standing there and He's calling out. And somebody that has the most potential that you would look at, maybe you go to camp with them and you would say they're the most talented. They come from the right church, the right area, the right place, and they've got the look and they've got everything. And they could be rejecting God in their heart. And then there could be you sitting there and you know all the troubles and you know all the baggage that you brought to the Lord. But you have that burning call inside your heart. And you're saying, I know what God's done for me and I'm, I'm not perfect. I've got all of this stuff, but God can work in my life. God can move. I want God to do something. I want free of this sin. I want free of this stuff that I'm carrying. And God says, there's somebody that I can work with. Yeah, they've got some problems. Yeah, they've got some limps and some scars and some bruises. But you know what? They answered my call. They answered when I beckoned unto them. And you know, these people that look like they've got it together, they didn't answer the call. Because you know what? Everybody that's going to make it is going to answer that call. Everybody that's going to make it is going to be a son or daughter of Abraham. That means you let today be influenced by that voice. You let today be influenced by that voice. Paul said that Abraham stumbled not at the promise of God. Does that mean he was perfect? No. In fact, if you know the story of Abraham well, you know that he sort of gave up for a while and allowed his wife to talk him into having a son with her servant a son of the flesh, and it didn't work out well for them. But, but yet God's grace just covered it because Abraham was compliant to do what God wanted him to do. There was a sincerity in his heart that said, God, I want your will to be done in my life. And if you have that desire, God can overcome any adversity. God can overcome any sin. God can forgive anything. That's why there's literally nothing that is too bad for God to forgive. There is nothing that's too bad for God to not wash away because everything can be covered by the blood. The difference is who asks for forgiveness and who doesn't. Who feels that call and who doesn't. Who feels that call? And I'm not saying that when a good, that a good kid, because I was a good kid, I was one of those people. So don't, don't, don't you think that I'm putting you down because my life was blessed because of the sheltered environment that I was raised in. I was mocked for being sheltered and there is nothing wrong with being sheltered. If you are a sheltered young person, you need to get up every day and say, thank you, Jesus, for my mom and dad telling me no and protecting me. Thank you, Jesus, for that guidance because guess what? If the role was reversed and you were on the other side, you would look at those kids that don't have any of that baggage, that don't have any of those experiences, and you would say, I wish I had that opportunity. I wish I had that opportunity. You know, there are, there are, there, I remember it so vividly. I was on an MSA trip, and I was probably 20 years old, and I was sitting in the home of our host family, and they were a precious couple that had been one to the Lord in their adulthood after their children were already born. And she looked at me with tears running down her face and said, what does it feel like to be used by God? What does it feel like to have that anointing come over you? She said, I wish I would have known about this sooner. I wish I could have given my life to this message sooner. I wish I could have done more with my life, she said, but I'm thankful that God found me where He found me. And I'm thankful for what God has done in my family, but I would give anything to be in your shoes. And it impressed upon my heart because what I had was valuable. 
But yet God found that lady and found her family in the midst of nothing, nowhere in Indiana. God spoke to them. And God changed the course of their family forever. So God, there's nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing. That, no matter where you're at, you think nobody, no, everybody underestimates my abilities or nobody thinks I'm valuable or I come from this home or that home. It does not matter. What matters is do you hear that voice? Do you feel that pull in your heart where God begins to draw? You all know what I'm talking about at an altar call or in a prayer meeting when something just begins to happen. It's not what's going on. It's not necessarily the music or the preaching. It's just something that begins to pull you in. And how you respond at that moment will determine whether or not you do something for God or not. Whether or not you step into your destiny or not. Because it is that knowledge that God's got something for me. And then every trial and everything that you go through, you can bear it because you know this isn't going to destroy me because I've heard the voice of God. He said that it's going to work out. Yeah, this looks like a setback. God just spoke to me and said, I need to sacrifice my son, my only son, Isaac, on the altar. But you know what? I'm going to trust God and I'm just going to persevere. That's the father of the faithful that said, I'm just going to trust God that even if I go through with it and kill my son, that the Lord's able to raise him up from the dead because he promised it. I'm just going to keep on being faithful with what I know to do because some of you, God has spoken some things into your life and made Maybe it's gotten dark and you've forgotten about it. And you've allowed the pressures of life to push that to the side. But if you stay faithful to say, no, this is going to work out. No, it looks bad right now. It looks like I've had a setback. It looks like I've, I've been humiliated. It looks like I've had this person point their finger in my face and say, you're no good. You're never going to make it. But guess what I've heard from the Lord? He's spoken to me and I'm not going to let that slide because I'm a child of Abraham. Because I am full of faith to believe that God is going to work it out in my life. That the destiny that God has placed on my life, He will perform it because He is faithful. And because I'm going to say yes to Him. Because I'm going to follow Him where He leads me. If they could come to the music, I'm, I'm closing quickly. Because I believe that there is a young person in here that has a call of God on their life. Not just call to the ministry necessarily, but I believe that everybody in here, God is trying to reach for. He's trying to call you and how you respond to that call will transform your life. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I am one of them. Are you? Because the choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. It's up to you tonight how you respond. Not, I'm not just talking about this service. Although I do believe the Lord wants to do something and I do believe that there is a response to be had tonight. But I'm not just talking about this service. I'm talking about in your life. I'm talking about with your future. This is the answer to that problem of am I going to be good enough for God to use me? Will I ever overcome this sin in my life? Will I ever get to a place where I feel at peace with who I am? The answer is that God is calling you to that kind of life. He's calling you. And I could, I could give you the statistics. I could, I, like I said, I could try to scare you and convince you that living for Jesus is the best life. But you know what? You wouldn't believe me. And I understand that. Why should you? 
You've got your whole life ahead of you. So many options on the table. But if you're really going to live this way, you've got to hear from God. You've got to hear the voice of God saying, I know the next right step for you. I know it looks impossible right now, but I'm going to bring you through. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me with your future? Will you trust me with your life? That's living the life of faith, saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. And letting God prove himself to you. Letting God prove himself to you. Because God does it more and over what you could even imagine. Abraham could never imagine when they said, you're going to be the father of many nations. I don't think Abraham could envision a second grader standing on a second floor Sunday school room in Indianapolis, Indiana, singing Father Abraham. Just goofing off, but really something in that Sunday school class was beginning to take hold and God was beginning to deal with my heart about becoming a son of Abraham, about being another one of those stars in the heaven when when the Lord told Abraham, look up and see the sky. That's what your children, that's the, that's the sand of the seashore and as the stars of heaven, that's how your children are going to be numbered. It wasn't just talking about the Jewish people. It was talking about everybody that's ever felt that voice, that call, that's inexplainable. It just says, will you follow me? Will you follow me? I know that you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. You felt it or you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't feel that pull, that drawing of the Spirit and how you respond to that young person. How you respond to that voice, that call, that determines whether or not you're going to live a life of faith. It's not just a sin, oh yeah, I know God's true, so I'm good. No, it's will you follow Him? Will you allow His voice to take, to impact your next step? Won't you stand with me tonight? Me,